This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is World Changing Ideas, and I'm Amelia Hemphill. This season, we'll be hearing from changemakers and innovators around the world, all working to create a better future. So if you're on the hunt for some solutions to the world's problems, then you've come to the right place. I can't believe we're fully into the holiday season. The countdown to Christmas is officially on. So in the spirit of being grateful, we're also going to be gifting you with some of this year's positive solutions-based news. Let's get celebrating early because everyone needs more good news. So here are this week's top headlines. Coral reefs in Hawaii are getting insurance protection against hurricanes. Thanks to an NGO called TNC, the Nature Conservancy, Reef responders are being trained to jump into action, and Hawaii can now receive payouts of up to $2 million for reef restoration if tropical storms hit. The insurance policy now covers reefs from Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, and Honduras. A new way to remove microplastics from water has been discovered, and it involves egg whites. Research from Princeton University found that when you freeze-dry and then heat the egg whites, they form this kind of aerogel that can filter salt and microplastics from the water with a 98% efficiency rate. And finally, I know we all love a bit of space news. The UN has launched a satellite-based global methane detection and alert system. This project has been partly funded by billionaire Jeff Bezos's Earth Fund, and Elon Musk's SpaceX has been contracted to send the satellite into orbit. So whoever or whatever the biggest methane-emitting culprits on Earth are, this outer space satellite is going to know about it, and can then notify governments and environmental organizations. Reducing emissions was a hot topic at COP27. And it's become clear that a lot of the emissions burden is going to fall on cities and governments. So what kind of world-changing ideas are we seeing in this space? Our producer Avery Miles has been in Europe taking a look at a simple scheme to turn city centres into car-free zones. Okay, tell us more, Avery. Okay, so you've probably heard of car-free urban centres before. With more than 500 superblocks now proposed, Barcelona wants to transform the entire city into a sort of green utopia. Time now for French Connections. Paris is known for its postcard beauty, but in recent years, uh, that's been uh, somewhat spoiled by a surge in air pollution. Indeed, Annie Delgo wants to make Paris not into a postcard city, but a post-car city, and she means business. Cars and congestion are a big part of London, but there are plans afoot to go car-free for one Saturday in September. But in the German capital of Berlin, they've launched a plan to completely block off inner-city traffic. Environmental breakthrough or a chaotic nightmare? Let's see. So we're now in the northern part of Friedrichstraße. Um, It's in Mitte, so the, the center of Berlin. And Here we see a classic mix of traffic. That's Marie Wagner. She's the spokesperson for the Volksentscheid Autofrei movement. And when I met up with her, we walked along some of the busy streets of Berlin. We see a lot of cars passing by. We also see trams and the rails of those, which is very dangerous for bikes, especially if they are pushed aside by car drivers. 
We even see an ambulance. We see a lot of cabs who are also blocked in between other cars. We hear a lot of honking and people not feeling well or feeling stressed by the traffic that's happening. We were standing on Friedrichstrasse, which is a main thoroughfare in Berlin. Part of the street has been closed off to motorized traffic since August of 2020 as an experiment during the pandemic, but a court order recently mandated that the street has to reopen to motorized vehicles once again. In the meantime, though, Wagner has been part of the Autofrei movement that's been fighting for a completely car-free zone within the capital city. The idea for the initiative really started a couple of years ago with people just realizing that it's necessary to have a city center that is safer, that allows for more climate-friendly transportation, and that is healthier for everyone. She explained the idea wasn't just to have smaller events that are car-free, but to create an entire democratic movement. They wanted to create a law that the people of Berlin could vote on that would make the inner circle of the city completely car-free. So it's really Berlin-based. And as a very first step, we had to gather 20,000 signatures of people who have the right to vote in Berlin, who basically signed uh, for the Senate, so the Berlin government, to have a look at our suggestion. The Autofrei movement gathered more than double the signatures in half the time that they had allotted. Then they sent the proposal to the Berlin Senate, where a whole back and forth ensued. And then in May of this year, the Senate ordered the state court to assess the proposal. The legal framework basically proposes that all streets within this streetcar rail line will become much more car-free. Only people with special permits will be able to continue using vehicles, and that includes those with reduced mobility, and then emergency and commercial or delivery vehicles. Even within our group, we are not people who are only riding the bike. We are people who generally like to be safe in the city. And we do have families who follow along. We have people from... Wagner explained that they have people from different social and economic backgrounds and that the process of gathering those signatures was both interesting and important because... This is something that is completely absent from public discourse so far. Their main objective is to bring about a mobility transition. But it's also about improving health and the quality of life for the people of the city. From a health perspective, it's of course that cars do have a lot of carbon emissions, but then also the real rub-off, which also has a lasting impact on the environment as it goes into groundwater. Then, of course, we still have people and way too many people who die in traffic because uh, streets are not safe. We believe that if children can go by themselves to school, by food or by bike, this is the level of safety that we want. We don't want parents to be afraid to leave their kids alone in the streets. While the main goal is to pass the law, Wagner stressed that it's also about creating more space, both physical and philosophical. They are also fighting to make people realize and really imagine what else could be done with that space. I believe that most people don't even see the cars that are in our streets. And for me, it was the same. A couple of years ago, I went outside and I didn't even see the cars because they became so normal. They just became part of of the image that I would see when I come out of my house. But now, having realized how much space cars take, it's like you can't get go back from that. Like once you see them, you would always see them.
This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. All right, so when we think about reducing transportation emissions, cars and planes are usually the big offenders. But what about boats? 90% of everything we consume is moved across seawaters. And according to the International Maritime Organization, commercial shipping is responsible for about 940 million tons of carbon dioxide every year. That's about 2.5% of global CO2 emissions. Interestingly, there are some world-changing ideas in the mix to cut down those numbers. So let's head over to the waterways of Stockholm to find out more. Well, here we are in Sweden, home of ABBA, pickled herring, and now, apparently, a new kind of green energy boat. We have less impact even before the boat gets into water. That's Gustav Hasselskog, the founder and CEO of a Swedish startup called Candela. They've developed some pretty cool hydrofoil technology that reduces water friction by 80% compared to a regular boat. And it's all powered by electricity. A hydrofoil boat works in a, in a fairly different way in the sense that you have these wings underneath the boat and then the entire hull gets above the surface. So that means since the wing is very much more efficient than a planing hull, you get a very efficient ride. But you also get, of course, rid of all the slamming that you have in a normal boat since the hull is, is above the, uh, all the waves. The boat is literally lifted out of the water and glides along above the surface. The company's built five types of these hydrofoil boats, including a water taxi that can travel 14 nautical miles of range at speeds of 20 knots. So essentially what a hydrofoil does is that it works like a normal wing that you have in the air. And, and the principle of a wing is essentially that if you can get the fluid to uh, go faster, then you have given it more energy. And then the energy needs to sort of come back somewhere else as a negative energy. And in this case, it turns out to be pressure. So if you can then do something that has sort of makes the air or water go fast on the top side of a wing, you're going to get low pressure there. And then uh, the whole thing goes up. So can the company be the next Tesla of boats? Or is this maybe more of a luxury speedboat experience for climate-conscious travellers? Compared to if you take an electric car, you typically see that you need to use it quite a bit before you reach sort of the, the payback time in terms of carbon dioxide footprint. But in our case, even the first minute you have it in water, you have already saved compared to a normal boat not having batteries. And what about scale? Could this technology serve the whole industry one day? The core problem with with, uh, electrifying anything is that batteries are not very energy dense. So any fossil fuel is is fantastic in its energy density. It only has some other drawbacks, as you know. So batteries are pretty bad in in that regard. Like any boat, the energy you need and the size of the battery uh, you need is proportional to the mass of the boat. So whether it's planing or, or, or hydrofoiling. So if you can have the mass, you can have the energy you need. So building light means you can use less energy in the boat, less battery, and, and that sort of is, of course, good for the environment. But if you want to go faster, uh, you kind of hit this wall where you don't get any range uh, to talk about, and, and that, from a market perspective, would be a hard sell. Not sure I want to risk getting stranded out at sea if the battery dies, 
But apparently, electric boat engines require less servicing than their fossil fuel equivalents. The designers decided to build light, as they call it, so the boat leaves no wake behind it. That allows for a very smooth ride and supposedly doesn't disturb the sea life or create too much noise pollution with roaring engines. At the moment, though, this technology is only really available for those who can afford it. So the boat costs um, €330,000, which means it's not, as of yet, built for everyone, obviously. Hasselskog said they've noticed their customers tend to be interested in both the technology and in doing something good for the climate. But of course, you need to be rich as well. Uh, that's helpful if you're going to spend so much money on, on a leisure boat. If you still want to give it a try, but maybe aren't up for shelling out hundreds of thousands, Candela is also bringing the hydrofoil into the public transportation space. So we are now developing a passenger ferry for 30 passengers. And those boats, they are used much more than any leisure boat. So in terms of environmental impact, that's going to be the key contributor. And they're looking to optimize for ultimate transport efficiency. Normally a ferry is like two to 300 passengers. That's what most cities use. But we studied that and saw that the seat utilization is super low. You, you rarely get above 20% in any city. In, 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 in Stockholm, it's like 16. In, in Istanbul, it's 18. So we said, let's do it small. Hasselskog said they're also aiming for a more on-demand approach. That means you're going to take away the timetables and the fixed routes that you have normally with ferries on water and make it more organic, if you like. So whenever somebody wants a ride, they use an app for that. And then we have a central computer that does sort of this central route planning in real time for all these ferries. Using that type of IT technology can uh, further speed up this transition to fossil-free ferries, which I think is so cool. And that's what we're going to do. The first ferry will run from a suburb outside of Stockholm into the town centre. So if you make it to the front of the line, you could be in for a treat. What's fascinating with that stretch is that there we got permission to run much faster than you normally can do. So we have the commuting time for people taking the car so they can do it now in 25 minutes instead of 50 minutes. Okay, so we've got commuter benefits alongside environmental benefits. Hasselskog also said that they're working on partnerships with tourist resorts that are interested in becoming more sustainable. And what's fascinating with this whole thing is that we will lower the cost for these operators. So it's not a sort of a choice between getting green and money. They can have both. And that's why we believe this is going to sell a lot. And, and that's why I spend uh, days and nights trying to figure out how we're going to manufacture all the boats we need. The company goal is to make 400 boats in 2023, with the first commercial ferry hitting the water at the start of next year. That's it for our show today. I'm Amelia Hempel. We want to hear about the world-changing ideas going on where you are. You can check out our Fast Company YouTube and Instagram for more sustainability stories this week. We've got an exclusive interview about greenwashing in the fashion industry, and we want to hear your thoughts. Let us know what you think on Instagram and on TikTok. And while you're here, please leave us lots of comments and reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next Wednesday. Our show is produced by Avery Miles, mixing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Joshua Christensen is our supervising producer, editorial oversight from deputy editor Kate Davis, and senior VP of entertainment Scott Meebus. 